All right, who knows it? Who knows the song? Three people? Are you serious? Okay, okay, great. Okay, hold on to that. We're going to come back to that song in a moment. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Dan. Uh, I serve as the uh, teaching pastor for our Worthington campus. I just want to say I'm really grateful that you are here with us today. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, I'd love uh, just to I'd come up and chat with me after uh, the service today. I'd love to set up a time and get to hear more of your story and uh, share a bit more of what we believe God has called us to do uh, at the LifePoint Worthington uh, campus. If this is your first time and you'd love more information about uh, just taking a next step or figuring out what, what it means to be part of this church community, one of the easiest ways to begin doing that, if you don't want to come talk with me after the service, uh, is you can scan that QR code that's on a, uh, one of the seats in front of you uh, that will take you to the lpguest.com website where you can fill out a quick form uh, and you can do several things from that website. You can fill out a welcome guest uh, card and we will follow up with you later on in the week. We'll also uh, give a $5 gift to one of our ministry partners in your honor as a way of just saying thank you for being here. Uh, the other thing you'll find is you'll find uh, notes to this message. You can follow along uh, in the notes and the, the scripture passages I'll be using. You can find that on the, the website. And the third thing you'll see is uh, a, a spot for giving. And for those of us who call uh, LifePoint Worthington home, uh, giving is, is part of our stewardship of what God has entrusted to us. Uh, he Financially, he has uh, pro provided for us. And as we give, we are modeling the gospel uh, to ourselves and to our families. We say, hey, our savings is not our savior, but we are liberated. Uh, to give generously and faithfully as a part of being a church family. When you give, it goes to so much more uh, than just providing for what is happening here at LifePoint Worthington. We are actually part of a network that is seeing thousands of churches planted, uh, not just in North America, but around the world. And we're going to hear stories in this next year uh, of different church planters uh, as they are sharing what God is doing in their communities, and we get to be a part of it. I'll let you in on a joke. We're going to bring in a church planter. Uh, who's planting in Cleveland. In just a couple weeks, we're going to pray for him. Uh, and I have a shirt for him. He's, he's moving up to Cleveland to plant there. And I have a, he's a big Cleveland uh, Guardians fan. And so I have a uh, shirt that says, the greatest baseball game ever played was uh, played in a cold, rainy October in Cleveland because it's the day they lost to the Chicago Cubs, uh, which is where I'm from. So he doesn't know that, but when he is here, we can all have a little laugh. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right, so uh, you may be wondering why, why did I play John Lennon at the beginning of our service today? Uh, that, how many of you know that song? Again, just raise a show of hands. Happy Xmas. He called it Happy Xmas, but he sings Merry Christmas in the song. Uh, why are we playing this song at the beginning of our uh, service? Well, you know, it's not as cheery as the other songs that I have been playing at the beginning of our, uh, my messages the last few weeks. You know, it's not the best walk-up music that I could have uh, picked. Some of you are a little too young for uh, this song. Uh, but does anyone remember how that song ends? Anyone remember how, how it ends? You can just raise your hand. You don't have to sing it. Okay, okay. War is over if you... You know that song? Okay. Okay, I know I'm digging deep on this one a little bit. But it's interesting 
uh, what John Lennon was trying to do with this song. You see, at, at his heart, it's a lot like his other solo work in the 70s. It was a protest song. Uh, you can think about what was happening uh, in the world at that time. Uh, Vietnam War is happening. And, uh, th- but there's something about this one song that he wrote that makes it so much more recognizable uh, than most of his other solo uh, music. I mean, first of all, for some reason, I, you know, for some reason, this has become a staple Christmas song. It's one that shows up on nearly every Christmas playlist you could possibly download on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your uh, Christmas music from, maybe even the radio. Uh, you'll hear it at the mall. You'll hear it uh, just while you're uh, you know, watching movies and shows. It shows up all over the place. The funny thing is, this song uh, is really not, it's not that good of a song. It's just not. I mean, lyrically, it's kind of boring. Musically, it's very boring, very unimpressive. But... But, you see, what John Lennon did with this song is connect sentimentality with longing. Let me explain what I mean by that. He connected sentimentality with longing. You see, what he is doing is he has borrowed something from the Christmas season. He has borrowed this sense of what we all want the world to be like, what, what we all want to experience. And he was able to draw out a longing for the world uh, that we actually live in to be more like the one that we want. He, he recognized that the vast majority of us uh, also feel this at this, this time of year, even if we lack the ability to articulate why there is something about Christmas that highlights both the world that we want Right, where people are kind to one another, where joy breaks through the, the gloom, where there is hope even in the midst of the most dire circumstances, where we are kind to our neighbors, and, uh, and, and highlights that world and the world that we actually have. We see brokenness and chaos and frustration, pain and sorrow. And so he releases this song that borrows all of the warm fuzzies from this time of year. Uh, And at the very end, he calls us to put our money where our mouth is saying, hey, if you want to keep all those good feelings year round, you actually can put an end to all the pain and the chaos and uh, the raging war going on around us. And so the whole thing ends with this rousing chorus of war is over if you want it, war is over now. You see, the reason this song has lasted the last 50 years as one of the greats is because ultimately it is a song about something that we all desperately want. Peace. It's a song about peace. This morning, we're going to continue in our uh, Christmas series called Love's Pure Light. Uh, And what we've been doing over the last couple weeks, if you've been in our uh, series, is we've been talking about these four words that show up in, uh, you know, all the time this, this part of the year, right? Hope, joy, Peace. Next week, we'll look at faith. And the, the interesting thing is that none of these words are exclusively religious words, though sometimes we end up putting them in that kind of box. But we're taking these words that so often get cheapened this time of uh, year, and, and we are showing how they are actually striking and vivid words that they do, in fact, articulate some of our deepest uh, needs and longings in this life, and that ultimately we have find fulfillment for those longings in the person and work of Jesus, which is why we believe we have something to celebrate this time of year, which is why we say and believe this is the most wonderful time of the year 
Today we're talking about that third word, peace. Which, if you've been following along, surprise, surprise, I think peace is a fascinating word. It's one we use all the time in our culture uh, today, though I I think we have remarkably different paths uh, to achieving peace. Different ways of going about it. And so what I want to do in our short time together uh, is talk about what peace is and how we get it, right? And, you know, I'll say this in the beginning. There is so much that we could talk about. We are not going to go down every rabbit trail. I mean, I have mapped out probably a 20-week series based on this message alone that we could uh, dive into. We're not going to do that. We're barely going to scratch the surface. But if there's anything I want you to walk away thinking about today, it is this, this very simple idea. Jesus brings you peace. Jesus brings you peace, and my hope is that we will see that this is so much more than just a nice sentiment that I can offer to you uh, on a rainy December morning, but a life-altering reality that shapes every moment of every day for us. So if you have a Bible with you, why don't you open up to the book of Colossians, the New Testament book of Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read this passage, pray, and then we'll get started. If you need help finding Colossians, you can flip to the table of contents, and it'll take you right there. No judgment from uh, me up here. Colossians chapter 1 will also be on the screen behind me. Let me uh, read the passage, and then we'll pray. Starting in verse 15, it says this, He, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him All things were created, and in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray, then we'll get started. Father, this morning uh, we, we, we first come before you, and we ask that you meet us here today. Gathering as a church on a Sunday morning is is about so much more than just singing some songs. It's about more uh, than just uh, hearing some thoughts from from a pastor. You can find better thoughts online. God, we pray that you, though, as we gather, you would meet us in this place. And I pray that that would be true for all of us, whether we have been following you for years, decades, or Uh, If we have no idea why we find ourselves in a church on a Sunday morning today, maybe with questions or uh, maybe frustrations or angry with you, God, I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us gathered here in this place. As we open your word, open our minds, open our hearts to hear what your word has to say. Do more than just challenge our thinking. Change our hearts by the power of your word. We also pray that this would be true 
uh, for the many other churches that we know of that are gathering right now uh, to proclaim uh, the good news of Jesus, the good news of great joy for all people. And so we pray specifically for uh, Ethos Church just north of us on High Street. God, we pray that as you gather, or as they gather, you would uh, meet them profoundly in their time and together. God, provide for their needs. We pray blessing on uh, their community and that they would do uh, great work, great kingdom work for your name's sake in our city. Lord, we're thankful for the friendship and the gospel we have with them. We pray that you'd meet us. We trust you, Lord. We thank you and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and uh, get started. Now, uh, I know that we are talking about peace today. The obvious question, though, even as I was working through this passage, is what, what does this passage have to do with peace? Like, if we just taken, uh, you know, a passage that loosely fits and kind of crammed it into the bigger series that we're trying to do at LifePoint? Well, no, that's not what we've done. Uh, but I, I want us to hear these words the way that Paul's original audience in the city of Colossae, the first century city of Colossae, would have heard them. We talked about this the last couple of weeks. Remember, uh, the Apostle Paul, who was one of the earliest leaders in the Christian church, uh, wrote the majority of the letters in the New Testament. Uh, he has never visited the Colossian church, right? He's never been there. He's only heard about them from some of his co-workers. And so he's written this letter to address some of the things that he's heard they're working through, they're, they're wrestling with. And so he's written this letter to encourage them, to challenge them, and to teach them a little bit. But he starts this whole section off uh, with what many theologians would say is the most important passage in the New Testament about Jesus. The most theologically rich, Christological section of the entire New Testament is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through uh, really uh, 20, uh, 23. And in the original language, it's written more like a poem or uh, a song. In fact, it might even be that Paul's quoting from an early hymn uh, that he has, uh, that's been circulating around the, the, first, uh, the first century. Uh, it is this dense, theologically saturated depiction of Jesus. So, and, and I want you to hang in here with me for a second because it matters profoundly uh, that, we, that, that Paul starts here as he begins a conversation about peace. We're, we're, we are going to get to that in a moment. Hang in there with me, though. I want to work through this briefly. And again, we, we are just scratching the surface on what Paul is talking about. Look at verse 15 again. Says he is the image of the invisible God, which is Paul's way of saying that Jesus is not just a good teacher uh, about who God is, which is sometimes how we like to view Jesus today. Uh, I mean, that, that is just not the idea the New Testament has about Jesus. I mean, to be the image of the invisible God uh, is, uh, means to, to see Jesus is to see God himself. And, and if that were not enough, keep reading verse 16. For by him all things were created. Let's just assume for a moment that Paul actually believes what he's writing here. For, for, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities, all things were created through him and for him. I mean, that, that is that is wild to think about in heaven and on earth. And the, the original language, in, in, uh, which is Greek, not English, that word for uh, heaven, the heavens, describes the vastness of everything that is above. The things that we can't even, we have not even discovered yet. 
Paul is saying all of this was created through him and for him. The totality of the world that we experience today, what we see, taste, what we touch, even the things that we cannot see, every particle, every atom, every molecule, and the laws of nature that govern them, they, they, they were created through Jesus and for him. I mean, this is one of the most radical ideas in the entire Bible. And I think this is the overarching point that Paul's trying to make here in this section, that the world as we know it, here it is. Here's the main point he's trying to articulate in the first few verses here. The world as we know it has a maker and ruler. To say all things were made through him is to say he is our maker. To say he, all things were made for him is to say he is the ruler. And inasmuch as the world as we know it was made through and for him, the world as we know it, all of creation, finds its full purpose, its truest purpose, when it's aligned with its maker and ruler. Creation, in other words, glorifies God in a sense. When it functions the way it was created to function, grass glorifies God as it grows. Lava glorifies God as it churns, as waves crash, as brooks babble. You see what I mean? And this, this is true for all creation. There is not one aspect of this world that thrives and flourishes apart from the right alignment to the ruler and maker of this world. It finds its purpose, it finds its end, its telos in the ruler and maker of all things. The right question now is, what does any of this have to do with peace? What does any of this have to do with peace? Well, when, when you think about it, how would you define peace? It's actually a really hard word to define, and so we, we often uh, end up describing the result of peace, what it produces in us. And words like thriving and flourishing eventually come to mind, at least in terms of the result of peace that we can experience. We think of uh, feeling secure or protected, uh, assured, seen, known, and loved, content, not having to strive for anything else. The, in the Old Testament, there, there is a, an important word that shows up uh, all the time. This word is, uh, the word for peace is the Hebrew word shalom, right? Which may be the most important word or one of the most important words in the entirety of the Old Testament storyline. It essentially means right. It's right. And you can experience rightness in your relationships with others, rightness with God. You can experience rightness in your own soul. It's so much more rich than that, but it, 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 the broadest category is that it, it defines things that are right. But here's where things really start to get interesting, at least for me. Today, if I were to ask you about peace and how you think of peace, there are at least three arenas in our lives where we experience peace or we'd want to experience peace. You might think of the broadest category and follow John Lennon's uh, example and think about war, right? Right, it's not hard to think of the war in Israel, the war in Ukraine right now when you think of peace. And by peace, wanting peace in that area, we, we aspirationally mean uh, more than a ceasefire. Right? We, we mean that, that even the root causes of conflict and hatred are no longer part of the equation. 
How, how you achieve that is another story, but that's at least what we want. That's one arena. We might also think of uh, relational peace with a friend or a family member, right? Like there is this ongoing thing you may have with someone in your life, someone very close to you that you have, some pain and wound that has just lingered. And each time you see them, it just, it's like it gets torn open just a little bit more. Something that you'd like smoothed over or healed. Peace in that situation is more than just agreeing to disagree. It's more than just agreeing to not talk about this issue anymore with them or pretending it didn't happen. Peace is healing of that kind of relationship. But I think that we'll find that the peace that we are most interested in today, at least culturally speaking, is not global peace, though we may say we care very much about that, not even relational peace. I think the kind of peace we're most interested in today is inner peace. It's inner peace. There's a huge market, you think about it this way, there's a huge market today for helping people achieve inner peace. And this is not anything new. I mean, you can go back, you can go back thousands of years and find uh, writings from Aristotle, who is uh, kind of recognized as the first one to start talking about uh, the category we call self-help today, an understanding yourself to achieve inner peace. Let me give you a definition, though, from one of the most popular uh, tools for achieving inner peace today is a mindfulness app called the, uh, the Calm app. You may have seen uh, ads for this on YouTube or Facebook or Instagram, whatever you use. The Calm app has millions of downloads, people uh, trying to find inner peace. They define inner peace this way. It's on the screen behind me. So this inner peace is a state of tranquility where you feel at ease with yourself, others, and the world around you. It's about feeling present and comfortable in your own skin, less impacted from anxiety, worry, and stress. When you experience inner peace, you accept who you are, your strengths, your flaws, your desires, your dreams, everything that makes you uniquely you. You feel more accepting of the world around you and the situations that are unfolding so that you are less negatively impacted by anxiety, worry, and stress. And at first glance, that actually sounds pretty good. Actually sounds pretty good. The more I started to think about this definition and uh, kind of some of the echoes that I hear uh, embedded in this definition, I, I sense this, and I wonder if you do too, this seismic shift in the worldview articulated here. It might be faint at first, but it is present. Think back to what we just talked about in, uh, from Paul in Colossians chapter one, that the world as we know it has a maker and it has a ruler, and that all of creation actually finds its purpose, its fulfillment, its thriving, its flourishing in the right alignment with the maker and ruler of all things. But here, in just a few short words, I think we find not only the dominant ideology of our world today, but the polar opposite of what Paul has just articulated, that, the, that inner peace, that thriving and flourishing, that sense of content and satisfaction, uh, and, and that, that inner peace is not found in alignment with our maker and ruler, but it's found in alignment alignment with our truest selves. See, the modern world, he says, if you want inner peace, and everybody does, if you want inner peace, uh, if you want to know how to experience it, you have to look deep within. Discover who you are on the inside and, and, and then orient your life in such a 
a way that you genuinely reflect your truest and most authentic self, that you are most comfortable with who you are. You do you. If you think about it that way, I mean, again, we start to hear echoes of so many of the conversations our culture is having right now about uh, being true to who you are, being your best self about your orientation and not letting anybody else define you in any other way other than what you have put forward. I mean, we are having profound identity-shaping conversations in the world around us today. And listen, I'm not trying to knock inner peace. I'm not even trying to knock knowing yourself. I think that can be tremendously helpful. I've been incredibly helped by counselors in the past who've helped me understand myself better. But I would point out that seeking inner peace by looking inward, I think it makes a few, we'll say, daring assumptions. That what you find, at least here's one of them, that what you find when you look on the inside is good. We assume that what we, what we will find on the inside is we look within and find right alignment with ourselves, what we find is good, that you will find in your heart of hearts a more pure version of yourself. I think this is a disnified version of life. You find a more pure version of yourself in your heart of hearts, but, but I think we gotta ask, like, is, is that true? Is that really true? I mean, I, I can't get up and speak for everybody's experience. I can speak for my own. But I don't think I could say that about myself, that if I look deep within, I find a better version of myself. I'm not sure I could say that deep down, uh, I, I really am just a good person who gets squashed out by something else on the, on the surface, because so often I am surprised by what surfaces in my life from deep down. A couple weeks ago, I was, Courtney was away on, on a short trip. I had the kids for five days. I was surprised. Like I thought I dealt with being an angry person. There's nothing like a, a one and a half year old to tell you like, you're still angry, bro. <laughs> but really, I, I thought I was done with that. When I got married, I learned this about myself. You know, they, they say when you get married, or significant moments in your life reveal certain things about yourself. When Courtney and I got married, you know what I realized? I learned over the course of way longer than it should have taken me to learn. I realized I'm selfish. What do you mean my money is like her money now? <laughs> what do you mean my time? Like I'll, after work, I want, I want to go hang out with my friends. What do you mean I have to come up, I have to check in with you? What are you talking about? It's my time. Learned I'm selfish. When we had Evelyn, our, our first daughter, that, that's when I learned that, hey, I, you know, my family's got anger issues, praise the Lord, I don't. And then I had a kid and realized, you know, joke's on you. you, you have those same issues, you've been able to keep them deep down inside. I'm surprised by what comes out of me. I'm surprised by lust, even if I do a good job of holding it back. I'm surprised by anger, even if I do a pretty good job of holding it in. And I'm, I'm pretty sure if we're honest, most of us would have the same analysis of our own lives. I may not share that with anybody else yet, but we can at least say that that, that, is, that is most likely the case for every single one of us in this room. Interestingly enough, this is the very same analysis that the scriptures have of, uh, about us. I've been talking about the human heart. The, the, the prophet I, uh, Jeremiah says this, Jeremiah 17, 9, the human, the heart is deceitful above all things. 
Remember, by heart, he means where your emotion lives, the innermost part of your being. That's how the ancients viewed the heart. So the heart is deceitful, the core of who you are, deceitful above all things, desperately sick, who can understand it? In other words, uh, what we find when we look within, when we look deep within ourselves, what we find is broken. What we find when we look within is not the ideal. What we find when we look within uh, is what the Bible calls sin. And this is not me saying that on the inside we are all as bad as we possibly could be. No, that's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am saying is that when we look on the inside, deep within, what we find uh, is not uh, in and of itself inherently good. It is not in and of itself a more pure version of ourselves. And if that's true, what does that mean for looking within and finding alignment with your true self? Friends, at best, it means we are playing a very dangerous game. At worst, we are engaged in a fool's errand uh, for peace that cannot be found. It cannot be found within. You see, the scriptures describe a very different path toward true peace that does not begin with orientation to ourselves. Right, and like I said, there's so much we could unpack talking about this. But it doesn't begin with an orientation to ourselves following Paul in in Colossians 1. You find true peace uh, not by looking within, but by looking above. We find true peace not in finding alignment, uh, inner alignment with our true self, but by finding alignment with our maker and ruler. This is how all of creation is created to thrive, flourish, and function. Right, and this, I think, is what part of what makes the, the biblical worldview so unpalatable in our modern age because, because it challenges so many of the, the basic assumptions that nobody had to teach us. We just hold so dear and then we reinforce generation after generation. You see, we are born thinking, I was born thinking, I am the center of the universe. No one had to teach me how to be the main character uh, in my story. When I read the Harry Potter books as a kid, Right, who did I identify with? Harry Potter, because I'm the main character in every story I read. No one had to teach me to do that. It's part, it's part of what it means to be human. And so when Paul talks about Jesus as our maker and our ruler, of the, the ruler of the universe, he is talking about the one who rules and reigns over me and my story, about the one who rules and reigns over you and your story. And that, friends, is not something that our culture has prepared us to accept. And so I think the conversation actually moves from finding inner alignment to ourselves uh, to finding true and right alignment with our maker and ruler. To talk about uh, peace and experiencing real peace is first a conversation about a right relationship with God himself. And this is exactly what Paul keeps talking about as you work through the rest of Colossians chapter 1. Look with me at verse 19. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And what I think is so beautiful about this is that Jesus, the maker, the ruler of of all things, of this world, is the one who first moves to make peace with us. See, our brokenness 
Right? Our, our sin that we have does far more than just mess with our hearts. It does more than that. It, it means that we are actually in rebellion against our ruler and maker on our own. You see, uh, we do not see Jesus as king. We see him as a threat. We see him as an enemy, a threatening our own kingdoms that we are trying to establish for ourselves. But the gospel story tells us that while we were enemies of God, He lovingly and willingly stepped down into this world. I mean, this is what the entirety of the Christmas story is about, that this king stepped into the world that he created. The maker and ruler stepped into creation, and this king did not come to conquer his enemies by taking their lives, but by giving his. This is what Paul is talking about at the end of verse 20, that on the cross, Jesus lovingly and willingly stepped into the place of his enemies, dying a rebel's shameful death that we should have died and being raised again from the dead. He offers all who put their faith and trust, pledging their allegiance to him and him alone. He offers new and everlasting life. In fact, he talks about it often in the gospels this way, that it's, it is a uh, It is the life that is truly life. It is the life that we want. This is what Jesus offers to us. Offering us a right, restored, new, and aligned relationship with our maker and ruler of this world. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter five. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. With God. We have peace with God. We, because of, by faith in Jesus, we, are, we find ourselves rightly aligned to the maker and ruler of all things. This is the peace that we are looking for. And we find it not by looking within, we find it by looking above. And uh, in Jesus, we find peace with God who no longer sees us as enemies, but he sees us as his children. This, after all, is with the angels who proclaimed Jesus' birth that we just sung about uh, this morning. The shepherds in the fields were looking up saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. Right, this is the peace that Jesus brings us and accomplishes for us by his work on the cross in our place. It is a peace that, established, that is established by our maker and ruler, with, with our maker and ruler, so that we get, now have new life for our maker and ruler. It is the peace of being aligned, not with ourselves, but with him and what we find in that peace with God is something far greater than we could have imagined. You see, rightly aligned to God, we find the kind of inner peace that we are so desperate for and looking in so many other areas for because in a right relationship with God, we find that the maker and ruler, the the sustainer of this world that we uh, live in, we find him who knows and sees us. We now see him not as a distant ruler, but a close father who Jesus says uh, knows what we need before we even open up our mouths to ask as a father who delights to give good gifts to his children. We find him to be a provider for all of what we need, who does not fail, who does not forget about us, who is with us in every moment, who walks with us even to the valley of the shadow of death, who invites us to come to him and bring all of our burdens and all of our anxieties, any one thing that may pull us 
down and cast all of our cares and anxiety on him and he promises to sustain us through it all. See, peace, you see, does not mean you know the future, but it means you know the one who does. I love how it says this in Psalm 55. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden on the Lord. By burden, he means everything. He means the thing that you, you have been, you were agonizing over last night and couldn't sleep about. He means the thing that, 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 that gives you nightmares because you're terrified of what happens if somebody were to discover this thing about you. He means any anxiety, any burden, any care, anything that we carry with us. Cast your burden on the Lord. And he will sustain you in it. We talked about this last week that he gives us endurance and patience, long-suffering. Right? His peace will sustain us through whatever we encounter in this world. And it may not be quick. In fact, it probably won't be. But he will sustain us through every burden. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. This is the kind of peace that we crave. A right, restored relationship with our maker and ruler, the, ones who, the one who knows perfectly all of what we've got going on in our lives and cares more deeply about us than we could care about ourselves. And he will sustain us. Friends, some of you are here today and uh, you, you are not a follower of Jesus. And I want you to hear from me. I'm glad that you are here today. I'm glad that you're here today. And I know that there may be a much longer conversation about some things you've been thinking about and you may have uh, questions or pushback on a lot of what I said today. I want you to know I, I want to have a conversation about that with you. But I think what we are confronted with in this passage is that the pathway to the thing that we are desperately looking for in so many of their avenues of life, the peace that we yearn for, that we need, and we're created to experience, there is a path, and it is found in the person and work of Jesus. And today, you receive that by putting your faith and trust in him, which is kind of a nebulous language sometimes. I think it's helpful to think about it this way. Faith in Jesus is like pledging your allegiance to him, saying, he is my king. I am on his team. And what you find is that through faith in Christ, you are offered peace with God. Finally, we want to uh, take a moment to celebrate peace with God. And we do that as a church family by regularly coming and participating in something called the Lord's Supper or communion. On your way in, uh, you uh, passed a table there that had the elements available. If you are a follower of Jesus and did not uh, grab one of those, I invite you to either head back there or you can raise your hand and we'll get these elements to you today. And I want to say this. This is for those of us who are followers of Jesus. Again, if you're here today and not sure what you believe about Jesus, we actually ask that you not participate in this part because what we are celebrating is the peace we have with God in Jesus. 
We remember his death on our behalf, in our place, for our sin. We remember the way that he has made uh, peace by the blood of his cross. Paul talks about it this way in another letter in 1 Corinthians 11. He says it this way, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread and hold it up together. He says, This is my body. Take this in remembrance of me. Let's do that together, friends. We remember his body that makes peace. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Friends, let's hold the cup up together. And as we drink this, we remember the blood of his cross that makes peace with God. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you that we can look to you. We thank you that the message of the cross, the message of the gospel, is that you now see us. You know us. We find our uh, thriving, our fulfillment, our purpose. We find peace being rightly aligned with you. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that you help us today to live in a way that honors you with all of what we think, say, and do. And as we sing, Lord, we pray that we would do this with joy, knowing and celebrating the peace we have through Jesus. We pray all of this in his name. Amen.